Amen. Great time of worship tonight. Genesis 24 tonight. Genesis 24. We find a bride for Isaac. But in this chapter, we also learn how to find God in the maze of life and how to find God's way in the maze of life. When God called Abraham, God said, Abraham, I'm going to start with you, but I'm going to begin something that's going to be way bigger than you. God always does that. No matter where we are as far as the link in the chain, whether they're those who came before us or after us or like Abraham even started there, it's still always bigger than us. Therefore, you and I alone cannot fulfill by ourselves all that God wants to accomplish. Eventually, we have to entrust to keep it going if it's our time to go home to be with the Lord, to others, or even in this situation, Abraham isn't necessarily ready to die just yet, but he's at an age and a time of life where he can't do certain things anymore, and he has to trust someone else to go in his stead. So notice, it says in chapter 24, verse 1, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in everything. God wants to bless his people. God loves to bless his people. God still is blessing his people. It is up to us to recognize the blessing of God in our lives, to acknowledge the blessing of God upon us, and to be thankful and grateful for all the blessings that God gives to us. None of us as God's people are ever in a place where we're not being blessed. We're simply not recognizing the blessing of God. Because God even said, I blessed Abraham and everything, everything, physically, spiritually, emotionally, materially, you name it, God blessed Abraham, and God does the same thing with us. Now, because Abraham realized that the promise of God said that all of my promises will be fulfilled through Isaac, and that one day the descendants are going to be as vast as the stars in the heavens or the grains of sand on the seashore, that requires Isaac to get married and to have children so that this thing that was started with Abraham and Sarah can continue. And so Abraham calls one of his servants, the senior one in his household who was in charge of everything he had and said, put your hand under my thigh, it was a cultural way of sort of giving our word to another, right? So that I may make you solemnly promise or give me your word by the Lord, Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, the one who is the covenant keeper or the one who keeps his promises, 
the God or ruler of heaven and the God or ruler of earth, you must not acquire a wife for my son from the daughters of the ungodly Canaanites among whom I'm living. You must go instead to my country and to my relatives to find a wife for my son Isaac. Let's stop there. Several things we need to talk about here. First of all, why doesn't Isaac go? Abraham's too old to go. Why doesn't Isaac go? Why is a servant going? Well, God was leading Abraham, for one. And two, Abraham, Isaac, even Rebecca that we're going to get to, the servant, everyone had to get on the same page with God. This wife could not be Abraham's choice for a wife, for his son. This girl could not be Isaac's choice for himself. This could not be who the servant wanted Isaac to be married to. This had to be God's choice. And even maybe this was a a little insight into the fact that maybe even at 40, Abraham could not trust Isaac to make a choice that would be truly God's choice. In fact, we sort of get that hint later on whenever Abraham says to his servant, you cannot take my son Isaac with you because he may be tempted to choose a gal that would be more his choice than God's choice. See, this was not only learning to trust God for our journey, but it's also deferring the choices to God. We've all been there. We've all made our own choices at times and realized they weren't that good. Whenever we allow God to make the choices for us, it's always the best choice. Always. Always. The other thing we need to say is that it is a very important thing that's happening here is that Abraham, because especially of his age, is handing off the responsibility, the heavy responsibility, of finding a wife for his son, God's choice, to this servant. That says a couple of things. As we said at the very beginning, before our worship time tonight, one of the things this passage is going to teach us is some characteristics about a faithful servant. And one of the things that you see even right here in verse 2 is that this person was most trustworthy and proven. He had proven himself over the years so that Abraham continually gave him more and more responsibility to the point where eventually at this point he's in charge of everything that Abraham had. You and I can't trust many people at that level. But here's something we should have in our lives. There should at least be one person that we feel we could trust. If we can't go, we can trust them to go in our stead. Paul had this with Timothy. Paul said, I have nobody that I've ever met in my life that is like-minded with me like Timothy. So when you, when, when I'm sending Timothy to you, it's like you're getting Paul too. 
because we both sort of have the same heart. And this servant was somebody that Abraham could trust. Again, you and I in our relationships, we have all kinds of maybe people that we're acquainted with, that we might be friends with, but we don't all have the same trust level with every one of them. There's different levels of trust that we have with people. And yet there should be somebody that I feel like I could always turn to and know that I can depend upon them. I can rely upon them totally. I can count on them. In fact, the counterpart to this is a verse in Proverbs that talks about the pain of relying on an untrustworthy person. It says, when you and I rely or depend on an untrustworthy, undependable, unfaithful person, it's like a, the pain of a bad tooth. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had my teeth issues over the years. There is nothing like tooth pain. To tooth pain or teeth pain is a unique, acute type of pain. And the Bible basically says, when are we going to learn that entrusting things to somebody that cannot be relied upon, cannot be, they just not proven themselves, they're not faithful, how painful that can be to us. And yet what a blessing it is to have someone in our life like Abraham had with this servant whom he could turn to when he needed someone to go on this very important journey and, and carry this heavy responsibility and know that he would carry it out to the utmost of his ability and that he could be trusted to make God's choice for his son Isaac. This was no small responsibility. This was, now that Sarah's dead, this is continuing the line that God promised. But here even, you see Abraham's faith kick in because Abraham realized, I can't control this anymore. This stuff is out of my control. It's bigger than me. I have to rely on somebody else to continue the link in the chain and find a wife for Isaac. Who's it going to be? I turn to my servant. And I think that also then reminds us that one of the characteristics of a faithful servant is faithfulness, trustworthiness, reliability, dependability, well done, good, and faithful servant. The word good means beneficial. The word faithful means faithful. And can I say, you know, we can rank importance and all that, but if those are the things that God recognizes above everything else, then to me that says a lot. So like people have asked me over the years, who do you look for when you want leaders in your church? I tell them, faithful. It's got to start with faithfulness because anybody can be faithful. It has nothing to do with your gifts, your abilities, your talents, your skills. It has nothing to do with just being faithful. Show me you're faithful and let's start there. That's the starting point. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2. There it is again. Faithfulness. God puts great stock in faithfulness. That's what God's looking for. 
That's what this servant was. That's what Abraham needed at this time, a faithful, trustworthy, reliable, dependable servant. You also see Abraham saying, look, my son Isaac can't have an ungodly wife. And we're living in the midst of an ungodly pagan people. I need you to go back to our home and retrieve a wife from there who knows God. So again, Abraham is showing the importance of being equally yoked together, a principle that's taught in the New Testament. The servant, verse 5, asked him, what if the woman is not willing? She's not okay to come back with me to this land. Good question. You know why? Let me ask you gals. Would you marry a man sight unseen? I mean, that's what this, that, whoever this gal is, she's basically agreeing by coming back with this servant that I'm marrying this servant's, you know, master's son, Isaac. She's agreeing to that sight unseen without ever meeting him, without ever seeing him. She's agreeing to that. So it's a legitimate question. What if I find a gal that I think's God's choice, but she's not willing to go? Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Would it help if at least she saw who her future husband was? And notice Abraham's response. Oh, be careful never to take my son back there. And by the way, the words careful literally mean to hedge, to, to put a hedge about, to protect him, protect him from that. So I think, again, we're getting a little bit of insight in here that at least at this point in Isaac's walk with God, Abraham, his father, doesn't think he can be trusted to make God's choice or to defer the choice to God. There might be too much temptation for Isaac to choose someone that's his choice rather than God's choice. The Lord, verse 7, I love this, the God of heaven who took me from my father's house and the land of my relatives promised me gave me his word with a solemn oath to your descendants I will give this land. Therefore, Abraham is declaring his faith here to the servant and saying, we need to trust God in all aspects of this because it is bigger than us. It's out of our control. All I can tell you, my servant, is that I trust God to be working on all sides of this equation. He's not just working on our hearts, that he's going to prepare her heart too. And that I believe that if this is God's choice, God will be working on her heart and that she will be willing to come back sight unseen. Oh, that's a huge principle. See, God wants all of us to learn that. When God is in something, he's working on all sides of it. All sides of it. That's how God works. That's how he even confirms that he's in it. If one party feels strongly one way and the other one's not there yet, then it could be a timing thing, like, well, this person needs to catch up with that or this person needs to change. 
but they got to be on the same page, and God wants to align them to the same page. And that's how you know God is in it. So I love what Abraham says. He will send, verse 7, his angel before you. Literally, he will guide and direct you going before you. God will go ahead of you and make a way because he's the way, way, way maker. I want you to be encouraged by that statement of Abraham to his servant tonight. I don't know what you're waiting on, what you're concerned about, what you're praying about, and all of that that's ahead of you. But I can tell you this for sure. God's already there. God always goes before his people. He is the shepherd who leads his sheep from in front. He does not drive them from behind. God's always ahead of us. And we can trust him then that even though we don't know how all the details are going to be worked out ahead of us, that God's already there working on them. And that when he's in it, it's all going to start to fall into place. So he says, he will send his angel before you so that you may find a wife for my son from there. In a sense, Abraham is saying to his servant, you can trust God for your journey. He will be with you, and he will provide everything you need, including this wife for my son Isaac. If the woman is not willing to come back with you, you will be free from this oath of mine. I will not hold you responsible for her response. But you must not take my son back there. Not a good idea. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and gave his solemn promise he would carry out his wishes. Another characteristic of a faithful servant is that they can be trusted to keep their word. That when they give you their word about something, you know it's good. You know it's good. You know you can trust them. You can entrust to them responsibility and they will carry it out because they are faithful, they are reliable, they are dependable, they are proven. That's why the Bible even tells us in spiritual leadership, don't hand over leadership positions in a church to a novice. It doesn't mean that someday that novice might not obviously mature and, and, and might not grow and, and all of that, but don't hand a leadership position over to somebody who's not been proven. Let them prove themselves, which is exactly what we see with this servant in Abraham's household. So notice this beautiful story now. The servant took 10 of his master's camels, departed with all kinds of gifts from his master at his disposal. He journeyed to the region of Aram Nehrim and the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down by the well outside the city. It was evening, the time when the women would go out to draw water. And what's the next thing he does? Characteristic of a faithful servant. He prayed. He prayed. He sought the Lord's help here, and he stopped and he prayed. He was doing what he could do 
But he's like, God, you got to show up. I'm turning to you, God. I'm appealing to you, God. He says, oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, guide me today. Whoa, what a great prayer. He's basically saying to God, let me see your hand in the events of today. All of us can pray that prayer every day. Lord, guide me, direct me. Let me see your hand in the events of my day. Let me move to your moving. Show favor or be faithful to my master, Abraham. Bless my master. And then verse 13, here I am. He then stations himself purposefully by the well or by the spring. That's another characteristic of a faithful servant. We can be relied upon. Our word is our bond. We're a praying servant who seeks the Lord's guidance and direction, and then we station ourselves where God is leading us to be and just wait for his hand to move before we move. He was standing by the spring, and the daughters of the people who live in the town are coming out to draw water. By the way, in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk a lot about wells. They have a significant place in the Bible. A lot of significant things happen around wells, including Jesus and the woman of Samaria. That's no accident that Jesus met her there, by the way. We'll talk about that. He says, I will say to a young woman, please lower your jar, verse 14, so I may drink. May the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac reply, drink, and I'll give your camels water too. In this way, I will know that you've been faithful to my master. So another thing he does is in a sense say, God, I'm going to throw out sort of a, a test here to see if your hand is in it. But the main thing that he does and that a faithful servant will always do is let God decide. Notice he defers the decision to God. Big important phrase there. May the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. God's choice. Not Abraham's choice. Not Isaac's choice. Not Rebecca's choice. Not the servant's choice. God's choice. God, who's your choice for me. Who's your choice for my servant Isaac? Your servant Isaac. Who, who's your choice for my master Abraham's son? Oh, that we would learn to defer the choices to God and let him decide because his decisions and choices are always for our best. I love this. Now listen, God doesn't always work like this. A lot of times we pray and we have to wait for God's answer, but not here. Notice it says, before the servant even finished praying, lo and behold, who's coming to the well? Rebecca, in all her glory, with her water jug on her shoulder, 
She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah. And now, verse 16, she was beautiful physically, beautiful outwardly, externally. Bible makes no bones about that. She was attractive. She was appealing. But she was also beautifully spiritually. She was beautiful on the inside. She had kept herself pure, verse 16, and she had this surrendered servant's heart. When he says, verse 17 to her, please give me a sip of water from your jug, she says, drink, my Lord. And then after she had done that, she says, verse 19, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've drunk as much as they want. That's impressive. This gal doesn't even know this guy. And she's just like, I'm just here to serve. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just I'm, here I am. You need something, here I am. So you see this young lady, beautiful on the inside, beautiful on the outside, this servant's heart, this surrendered heart, this submissive heart, if you will, She quickly empties her jug, verse 20, into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw more water until she had drawn enough for all the camels. This girl wasn't afraid of some hard work. She had a work ethic about her. She poured herself out for others, literally and figuratively. That's the kind of heart that she had. Now, don't miss verse 21. This is a really important verse. And whether you realize it or not, you all practiced this tonight through Nicole. And I'll tell you how you did that. It says, silently, the man watched her with interest to determine if this was basically the Lord's choice. Okay? This is an important principle, one that God wanted me to share. In just a few minutes, you're going to see that he's in a hurry to get her back once the decision is made, right? But he's not in a hurry here. He's very deliberate and wants to take his time to let God really solidify in him that this is the one. And the words that are used here in the Hebrew language literally speak about engraving something upon us. It literally meant to plow, or I use even the phrase to dig a deep groove. That's exactly what the servant was doing here. He was just staying in the moment, allowing God to cut a very deep groove, to engrave something in him, to plow something deep into him so that he knew for sure that this was God's choice. At the end of Waymaker, when Nicole said, we need to stay here and we need to just sing this again. It's time for God to engrave, to cut something deeper, to plow something deeper into our life. We need to do that on a regular basis. We're so in a hurry in our lives that we don't stop like he did and just basically just, Stay in place 
Be silent, because that word is there, silently, and just let God impress upon him and solidify into him what God wanted to share with him or speak into his life so that it could be cut so deep that he knew for sure then, yep, that's the one. We're so in a hurry to get to the next thing that many times we fail to let God cut as deep as God wants to. Then what God has to do is then keep bringing us around to the same thing because we haven't allowed him or sat with him long enough or, or been silent or still before him long enough or stayed in place long enough in our worship, in our prayer time or whatever, our time in the word, to get that cut deep enough. The servant did that, which is another characteristic of a faithful servant. Not being in a hurry, not rushing to something else, but letting God have the time to solidify and make a deep impression upon our hearts and minds about something. After the camels had finished drinking, verse 22, the man took out the gold nose ring weighing a baka and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels and gave them to her. Whose daughter are you, he asked. Tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She says, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom Milcah bore to Nahor. We have plenty of straw and feed, she added, and room for you to spend the night. She was making room for this man. There are going to be times in our life where God impresses upon us also to make room for somebody in our life. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. Oh, I love this man. When he saw God at work, he made sure that he paused to worship. And notice that his worship was always around other people, so his worship was not only warfare, as we talk about, his worship was a witness. He wasn't afraid of who was watching him or whatever. He was like, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm acknowledging God here because God's in this. God's doing something here. Saying, praise be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his faithful love for my master. The Lord has led me, guided me to this house. Now we're going to skip ahead because he comes back to this house and this dear girl's father probably is dead now because sort of the representative besides her mother, Bethuel, is her brother Laban who sort of takes over for the family negotiations of all this, right? And notice up in verse 50, Laban, her brother, and Bethuel, her mother, replied, this is the Lord's doing. Notice, after the servant basically recalls the whole story from verse 28 all the way through verse 49, they recognize the fingerprints of God are on this. It's important that God's people recognize when God is moving and working and that his fingerprints are on something, if you will. Rebecca stands before you. Take her and go, verse 51, so that she may become the wife of your master's son, just as the Lord decided. When Abraham heard these words, notice what he does again, back down to the ground. Oh, God, thank you. You are moving. You are working. Thank you, God. I'm going to take time to pause, and I'm going to take time in front of Laban and Bethuel and Rebecca to acknowledge you, because worship is witness as well as warfare. Well, when they got up in the morning, he says, verse 54, let me leave so I can return and let me take Rebecca back. But Rebecca's brother sort of hesitates a little. Oh, let the girl stay with us a few more days, perhaps 10, then she can go. 
I love the response of the servant. He says to them, don't detain me. No more delays, please. I'm willing to stay there and wait till I find out if this is really God's choice, but we know Rebecca is God's choice. There's no reason to hesitate. There's no reason to look back at this point. It's full steam forward. There's a sense of urgency here. I need to fulfill my duty. I need to get her back to my master and to his son. Let me leave now. Now's the time. Doesn't that remind you of the guy that came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you, but first let me go do this at my home and let me say goodbye to this person. And Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's got to be times where, yes, we stay in place, we wait for God, but then there's got to be other times where we clearly know God's direction and we've got to stop hesitating. We've got to stop hedging our bets. We've got to stop, you know, you know, not being all in. We've got to just go with it. Now's the time, you see. Don't put it off any longer. So they said, verse 15, okay, we'll call the girl and find out what she wants to do. We'll give her the option. And in a sense, when I came to this part, I thought as the pastor who's done many, many marriage ceremonies in my day, this is sort of equal to the declaration of consent you have in marriage ceremonies, where basically you're saying to the girl especially, you're not being forced to do this, are you? You're not being forced to do something against your will. You're here out of your own free will. So they called Rebecca, verse 58, and asked her, do you want to go with this man? And can I just say again, what an amazing young lady. She said, I will. Now think about that. Again, especially you gals. She has no clue who she's going to marry. She's never seen him, never met him, never talked to him or anything. But what we are seeing here is a young lady who knows God and who's being led by God and who is God has been working on in her heart and mind to bring her to the point where she is willing to go back with his servant because God works on all sides. God was already working on Rebecca's heart even before the servant left to go get her because that's the way God works, you see. And that's how you know God's in something. But God bless her. She left her family she left everything she knew behind to follow the will of God for her life. What an example Rebecca is. And then I'll close with this. Just I know I'm running a little over, but look at verse 62. This is precious, and we'll get to this more. Isaac came from Bear Lahai Roy, which, yes, it means the well of the living one who sees me, but it's also an oasis in the desert. He was living in the Negev. He went out to relax in the field in the early evening just to be with his own thoughts. And he looks up, and this is cool. He saw that there were camels approaching, and Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac. What a precious and powerful scene when their eyes met for the first time. Now, I don't know whether you believe and love at first sight or whatever, but I know this. Here was a young man and here was a young woman that God prepared for each other. And I truly believe that when their eyes saw each other, they just knew, you're God's choice for me. That's 
precious. That's powerful. To, to be able to know another human being is God's choice for you, that he's the one that brought them into your life, and you know that beyond the shadow of a doubt, that's powerful. And that's exactly what was happening here. And then he asked Abraham's servant, verse who's this, or she asked, who's this man walking in the field toward us? This is my master, the servant replied. And she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac everything that happened. And Isaac brought Rebekah into his mother Sarah's tent. He took her as his wife, loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And I'll say this in closing, comforted by the presence of Rebekah. What's that teach us? That God uses people in our lives. And God can use particular people to come into our lives to bring comfort and encouragement to us, just as Rebecca was a comfort to Isaac. What a great story. And all over this chapter are the fingerprints of God. Yes, it's about Abraham and Abraham's servant and Isaac and Rebecca and all of this. But the star of the story is God. And God is saying through this story to us today, you can trust me for your journey too, just like they could trust me for their journey. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you have met with your people through our worship and through our time in the Word. And God, we pray that you would be allowed to engrave some things, to cut some things, to plow some things into our life. That God, instead of always being in a hurry and running and rushing to the next thing, that God, we would just sit with you long enough, silent enough, still enough, stay enough to let you do something deep in our lives. God, would you go with us from this place tonight? And Lord, just give us great anticipation and expectation to come back on Sunday and meet with you again with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Bless us, God. Show us your favor as we serve you, God. Help us to portray the characteristics of a faithful servant each and every day, like this servant of Abraham did. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.